If you would turn in your Bibles then to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians 3 verses 12 through 17. And uh, following the reading of scripture, we will sing the Gloria Patri, which is printed for you uh, in your bulletin. So Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12, if you would please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. Amen. As we have been working our way through the Heidelberg Catechism, we come now to the third major section of the Catechism. And I thought it might be helpful for us to remember where we began, uh, where we've been, and to sort of anticipate where we're headed. And where we began, and you can kind of keep your insert uh, in hand, I won't be reading all the questions and answers again, but I'll be referring to some of them. Where we began was with that great first question of the catechism, which is why I had us return to it. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Uh, It has to be, at least in my opinion, one of the finest catechism questions and answers. What a wonderful statement of truth there is in that question and answer. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And it is that you belong to God. And why is it that you belong to God or what are implications of that? You belong to God because you were purchased by Christ, by his atoning blood. His atoning work, his redemptive work satisfied God so that now you belong to God. You are his. You're his child. So you're, on the one hand, purchased by Christ. And secondly, you are preserved by Christ. So that not a single hair can fall from your head except by the will of your heavenly Father. And it may be that there will be trials in your life. Well, actually, I shouldn't say there may be. I can guarantee you there are and will be trials in your life. But there are. They don't come by accident, and they don't come unknown to your heavenly Father. That there is not a single thing that happens to you that isn't overseen and that you're cared for by your God and Father. He loves you and cares for you. So you're purchased, you belong to God, you're purchased by Christ, you're preserved by Christ. Well, 
the second question is, well, what do you need to know then that you might live and die with this comfort? And it gives us three things. Two of them are what we've covered. The third one is where we're headed. Uh, The first thing that you need to know to live and die with this comfort is how great your sins and miseries are. It's a, it's a message of the gospel that we maybe don't like to hear, but you're a sinner by nature. And no one will come become a Christian who doesn't understand the reality of their sinfulness. And you have to know, first of all, uh, your, about your sin and your misery. But the second thing that you need to know is how you might be delivered from your sin and misery. You need to be convicted of your sin, but how can you be delivered from that? And the second, the main middle portion of the catechism that we've been going through, and summarizing or taking us through the Apostles' Creed, is how you might be delivered from your sin and misery. And you need to know that. And it's a wonderful truth of the gospel and a great help to us. But now that you have known your sin and misery, now that you have been delivered from your sin and misery, what's next? Well, what's next is where we, what we embark on today. And the third thing is, how shall I express my gratitude to God for such a deliverance? You see, if you've known your sin and misery, and if you've known deliverance, then you can't possibly not want to live in gratitude to God and make your, the entire rest of your life an offering for him in thankfulness and gratitude to all that God has done for you. And that's where we begin today. These questions we begin on and continue on in the coming weeks. The bulk of what we look at and how we can live a thankful life is going to be focused on the law of God and the Lord's Prayer so obedience and prayer, but we begin today with sort of some introductory questions on how it is it that we can give our thanks to God to express our gratitude. So there's two main points of the message that I want you to reflect on today. The first is that we express our thankfulness to God by doing good works. The second is, what is a good work? as it defines it. But the first thing that to think on for a little while is we express our thankfulness to God by doing good works. Now, it's very important to remember our good works merit us nothing in the presence of God. We cannot do enough or anything to gain God's favor. We cannot do anything to keep God's favor. It's all Christ. It's all grace. It's all the work of Christ on our behalf. He obtains God's favor to us, and he keeps God's favor upon us. Even with all the struggles we have in our life, it's Christ that's the source of all of that. But nevertheless, you and I, are, as the children of God, are to do good works, to lead a godly life. And so if you look at question 86 and the answer, uh, what is the root of our good works? The root of our good works is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives 
transforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. That's where it begins. Uh, Turn to Romans 8. Romans 8, beginning at verse 28. And we begin with the verse that we all love. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. It's God's ordained plan for you that you be conformed to the likeness of his son. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians will say to us, we who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness um, with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit that is the foundation of any good works that we do. It's his work in us, transforming us into the image of Christ. That's the basis, that's the fountain from which grows any good deed that we might do. We get no credit for it. And if we have true faith, we don't even want credit for it. We want Christ to get all the credit for it. But we desire to live in a way that uh, will honor God. So in the answer, the continuing answer to this question, he gives us four characteristics of a good work. He's going to repeat that thought of what is a good work later on in another question. But the transformed life, what does it look like? What are some basic ways... That, that we see the transformed life in us by the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, the first is thankfulness. It's what we were reading in Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of his body you were called to peace and be thankful. Sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart with gratitude to the Lord. You and I are, are to be thankful people. It's, it's a characteristic of a transformed life. It's a characteristic of a life that's lived in conformity to the image of Christ. Are we thankful? Is the evidence of the Spirit in us uh, being revealed? A second aspect of the transformed life is that it brings glory to God. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So you do your good deeds before men, you let your light shine before men, and they see your good deeds, but they don't glorify you. They glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's a picture of, that's the, the result of a transformed life. It brings glory to God. Jesus said to his disciples, this is um, to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. A third characteristic of a transformed life is the assurance of salvation. 
And the assurance comes because of the fruit of the faith that God gives us through the work of the Spirit. As we observe, as others observe the fruit of faith in our life, the fruit of the Spirit, then we can be encouraged. Yes, God is at work in me. Am I where I need to be? No. Do I struggle along the way? Yes. But God's Spirit is at work in me. In the passage in 2 Peter 1, where Peter tells us to make our calling and election sure, one of the things he's doing in that passage, he's saying, God has given everything that we need for life and godliness. Therefore, add to goodness knowledge, add to knowledge self-control, add to self-control perseverance, add to perseverance godliness, As we persevere, as we pursue these godly characters, characteristics, we're being encouraged in the assurance of our our salvation in the Lord. And the fourth characteristic of a transformed life is that by grace and God's mercy, we might win our neighbors for Christ. It's something we desire but it's out of the abundance of, our, uh, of the spirit at work in our hearts that we live this way. Uh, when I was an intern in Montgomery, Alabama, there was one of the families in the church. Well, the two families in the church, they were, they were brothers. <clears throat> and the, the, the one family, um, the, the, one of the brothers was very mild. He was very gentle, kind of a very gentle person not bombastic or dominant or anything like that, but just a wonderful person. Uh, the kind of person you want as your friend. Well, his brother was kind of a very different personality, much more of a strong-willed kind of person. But the strong-willed brother gave the testimony that the reason he came to know the Lord is the faithful gentle kindness of his brother. And he saw in him the Spirit of God. And it was his behavior that won him to the Lord. And a transformed life by God's grace and mercy may be the tool he uses to win our neighbor for Christ. And that we would love to see. Uh, We would love to see that being accomplished. So the foundation of our thankful living is a transformed life by the work of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that these questions bring up for us in verses 88, 89, and 90 is... The beginning of our thankful life, so it's rooted in the work of the Spirit, the beginning of our thankful life is in repentance and faith. And we use the word conversion, but talking about repentance and faith. Uh, And those questions, 88, 89, and 90, bring out those particular points. We have a great question and answer in our children's catechism about repentance. What does it mean to repent? And the answer is to be sorry for sin and to hate and forsake it because it's displeasing to God. 
True repentance is being sorry for sin. As I talk with the children, not because you got caught, even though obviously we're sorry we get caught. But you're sorry for sin, not because you got caught, but you're sorry for sin and you want to hate and forsake it because it's displeasing to God. And so repentance, true repentance, is uh, hating and having a true sorrow for our sin. And then the other side of uh, the beginning of the path of gratitude is faith, and that is a wholehearted delight in God and a desire to please him. Uh, The kingdom of God is not a matter merely of the externals of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's faith. That's the work of faith in our lives. So we have the work of the Spirit. We have the foundation work of the Spirit in our repentance and faith. And then the question brings us the answer, well, what, what is a good work? How do you define what a good work is? And in that question 91, he gives four qualities of a true faith. Maybe some overlap with what we've already said, but nevertheless, there's four qualities he brings out. The first is that it's done out of a true faith. We cannot do any good work apart from faith. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Uh, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly, earnestly, earnestly seek him. Faith is, has to be the motivation behind anything that we claim or call to be a good work. Uh, that we do it because of love for the Lord. We may love our brother or sister, and that's certainly good too. But ultimately, the motivation, the, the principle behind any good action we do is faith in God. That's the motivating fact. And a good work has to be motivated by that. A second quality uh, definition of a good work is it has to be done consistently with the law of God. It has to be in conformity with God's commands. We can't just do, as the, the fourth point, whatever we feel like doing. We do, it, has to be, it has to conform with what God has directed us to do. That's how we define what a good work is. It's, it's a work that we accomplish for God according to what he has commanded. God has told us, be careful to do what I've commanded you. Don't add to it or take away from it. So are we guided in our actions and in our obedience by the word of God, by the law of God? A third quality of a good work is it's done for the glory of God. Paul would say, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, that doesn't mean you don't also have the motivation if you're caring for your brother or sister, providing a meal for them encouraging them, taking them to the doctor, whatever you might do for them, it doesn't mean that you can't have a, a, a positive thought toward them and a desire to do them good. We're not taking that away, but ultimately you want God to get all the glory from everything you do. That makes it a good work. 
And then the fourth thing is it's not based on human opinion or tradition. That's kind of the <clears throat> negative side of what number the point number two said. Positively, we do follow God's law. Negatively, we don't, we don't follow mere human tradition. Uh, Jesus would criticize the Pharisees and say they worship me in vain. Their teachings are rules taught by men, but not uh, by the word of God. You and I have to be guided by not other people's opinion, but what is God directing us to do through his truth? That makes a good work. And as you and I reflect on these things, this is the path of thankfulness. How can I show my thankfulness to God for the great deliverance that he's given to me? Well, I do it by doing good works. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, through my repentance and faith. Done in faith to the Lord. Done with a desire above all else to glorify the Lord. The life of thankfulness, that's what God's calling us to do. It's interesting, we're in this time of year when uh, our world, our culture, our nation is kind of going to be wrapped up in thanksgiving. <clears throat> and even non-Christians celebrate thanksgiving. Maybe for the turkey or for the football, whatever. It might be for other reasons. But nevertheless, even our world uh, can, get, can be thankful. And if non-Christians can be thankful, how much more should we, who have experienced the abundant goodness of God, have a life overflowing with thankfulness? And so get, let us give ourselves to this thankfulness of God by serving him and loving his people. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the abundant love that you have poured out into our lives. Thank you that you have made us aware of our sin and misery. Thank you that you have uh, provided deliverance and, and hopefully for all, but for many here, we've known that deliverance. I pray that you will bless us as we seek to live a life of gratitude to you and uh, be thankful that you might be the one honored and glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.